Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So we're going to get back into a conversation here about the protests taking place in Iran. We talked about them last week. Uh, it's definitely due for an update. It all started uh, around the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who died in hospital uh, three days after she was apprehended by the morality police, which I have trouble saying every time that I have to say it. Honestly, I do. Um, but uh, she was taken to a, quote, re-education center. You hear what I'm saying? The morality police took her to a re-education center for not abiding by the state's hijab rules. It's not that she wasn't wearing one. It's that she wasn't wearing it tightly enough. Uh, regardless, um, she didn't survive. She was uh, in a coma and, and passed away three days later. Now, since then, um, protests have taken over the streets of Iran in uh, dozens of cities. Um, hundreds and thousands of people taking part. Dozens have been killed in clashes with security forces. 1,200 have been arrested. It's turned into a major, major conflagration. But where does it go from here? We've seen it before. For that conversation, we're going to chat with Ava Homa. Did I say that right, Sarah? Ava or Ava? Ava. Sarah told me, and, and I forgot. Ava Homa, she's a journalist and the Nautilus Book award-winning author of Daughters of Smoke and Fire. Ava, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time today. Hello, Shay. Thanks for having me. Um, let's just go through this because, I mean, when we're talking about the hijab and the morality police and all these things, it's really hard, I think, for those of us in Canada and the United States to try and wrap our head around these sorts of things. So the hijab, just for people who know, it's basically a cloth covering that women wear. Um, what's the history of the hijab in Iran? It's been controversial right from the start, correct? Yes, Shay. Believe it or not, it's even hard for Iranian women to wrap. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, idea because it's it's more of a political thing and a tool of repression than anything anything else at this point. In terms of history, when you look at the pre-Islamic times, it was actually common for women who had a greater status to have some kind of head covering. And at the time, by law, it was banned for people of people that at the time were categorized as slaves, the prostitutes, or peasants to have a head covering. Um, forward to 1936, when the Shah of Iran was Reza Shah, the first Shah Pahlavi, he wanted to westernize the country, and guess what his first action was? To force the hijab out of women's hair. People, women, were punished for wearing the hijab at the time. And then in 1976, when Ayatollah Khomeini took over and he wanted to Islamize the country, he forced it back on women's head. So we see two things in common despite the apparent contradiction that both of these rulers, whether they're Islamic or monarchist, they find female body as their state. They supplicate female body to establish their power. And I also want to point out that in 1979, when uh, women staged large-scale protests, when Khomeini said that women have to wear the hijab, at the time he said that, oh, it's only a recommendation. And then in 1980, hijab became mandatory only in government and public offices. 
And it was in 1983 that it became compulsory everywhere. So it has been very highly politicized, and it has been enforced in stages, and there has always been resistance to it. Interestingly enough, even by people who believe in wearing it, they do not want it to be imposed on everyone else. Well, that's the thing, right? That's what it comes down to. It's, you know, it's being called hijab protests. It's protests over the hijab. It's not. It's not. It's it's about the choice to, if I want to wear one, great. I'm going to wear one. But if I don't want to wear one, I don't want to die at the hands of state security. That's what it's about. It's not about whether you wear it or not. It's about having that choice to wear it, right? Absolutely. It's about choice and freedom. And even though it started, um, the protests that have taken out, as you mentioned, to dozens, over 70 towns and cities right now, it started with the, uh, the rights, the fighting for the rights to freedom and choice, and uh, over it, a woman was killed because, show, because of showing a few strands of hair. The fact is these people who are taken to the streets and are risking everything, and I say everything, including their lives. Yeah. Um, we have all seen the police brutality, the random shootings, and all of that. They are fighting for several things. I want to point out that because Masla Amini was a Kurdish woman, and the protest started in the Kurdish region of Iran, from the very beginning, this protest were, had an intersectional nature to them. So this is a woman who was killed who is female, but also belongs to a highly oppressed ethnic minority. Today, this very morning, Iranian drones targeted uh, the Kurdish opposition camps in, on the Iraqi uh, Kurdistan region. So as you see, there is, a, there is this intersectional element to it, but there's also more, really. This is people who are very sick and tired of a regime that has been using political oppression, intimidation, execution, imprisonment to silence any voice, but it also has an economic aspect to it, right? This is the people who have been highly affected by the sanctions, by the embezzlement, and by the government that decides to spend in budget not in improving its own people's life, but in expanding regional influence. It's a government that spends billions of dollars in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Lebanon, and constantly only oppresses and silences its own people. So people are angry on so many levels. And as we, as you said, it, it's women who who started this protest in Iran. They're the ones that kicked it off, mm-hmm. as they have done before. Uh, what's the role of Iranian men, and what are they doing this time that's different? That's a very good question. So, Iranian men today are very different from their fathers and grandfathers in the sense that when in 1979 women staged protests against the hijab, the men on the both right and left side of the political spectrum, they failed to support women. They said hijab is not important. Hijab is not a priority. Why should we fight for this? There are more important, more pressing things that matter to us. Whereas today's men in their 20s understand that hijab is more than a piece of Quote that it is about that we discuss the right to choose and the right to the freedom, the freedom of choice, and just and respecting women as as humans and not treating them as subhumans all the time. And so, in that aspect, it's been very amazing to see how young Iranian men uh, have been uh, protecting their women, have been fighting for the women. They are the ones who create these bonfires that women throw their headscarves mm-hmm. in. So this gender unity has been very unique and it's very specific to this um, latest process because, you know, Shane, dictators rely on deceptions and divisions 
to survive. And when the divisions between genders, division between ethnic groups, which are division between different political spectrums that are, are kind of bridged, then it's harder and harder for, for dictatorship to survive. So I guess the question uh, comes down to where might this go? Because like we've said, we've We've seen these protests before, and eventually the Iranian security forces rise up and, and crush them. Uh, what's your prediction? What's your What do you think might happen this time? Well, that's the million-dollar question. On one hand, uh, revolutions have always surprised everyone. I mean, if you look at revolutions anywhere. But we're talking about a people who have had a revolution 40 years ago, and the results were catastrophic. So there is some hesitation about going through a revolution without having a solid and trustworthy substitute for the government. So what happens is, if you look at Iranian governments, um, I want to say expertise in cracking down on protests, it is possible uh, that they will crack down this round again. But for me, as an analyst looking at it, it's not the idea of revolution that's interesting, it's the idea of evolution in terms of yeah. how people's consciousness have grown, in terms of how each time these people rise up, they rise up stronger. There is greater unity, there is greater um, awareness of touching and understanding and supporting a cause that may not be necessarily your own immediate cause. For men to come out and say, I'm here to support the women. For Persians to come out and say, I'm here to support the Kurdish cause. This sense of unity and this, this empowerment, this strength that comes from these uprisings is highly valuable and that's not something you can discount just because there's crackdown happening. Yeah. So this has been a large warning to the government and they're well aware of that, that this is pretty much the end of their ruling if they continue the same policies that they have had for the past few decades. Yeah, a process, a process, yeah. Um, Abba, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.